good to see all, all of you here. Um, by the way, the, those of you watching online, this is not product placement. I just drink coffee. So just, hey, it's cool. Um, <laughs> good to see everyone back here at Tulsa Ballet. Um, and those of you who are online, um, good that you're with us as well. By the way, if this is your first time here, or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. Um, as always, my name is David, and I serve on the pastoral staff. And as always, we're praying that you find something meaningful because we believe that God is trying to speak to us in a meaningful way every day. And we think that there's something meaningful for you today here in this place. We're finishing our financial series called Three Levers, and we've talked about those three types of levers that we have control over. One is income, one is expenses, and the difference between those two is cash flow, and you have control over that. And you might remember last week we talked about cash flow at length. It's uh, you can either uh, spend it, save it, or invest it. And um, there's one other topic that I feel like I really need to cover, and that is quite simply um, giving. Do we have um, slides today or no? We'll find out. That's okay. I'm going to deal with giving today. And I want to start by saying three things about giving. Oh, there we go. Cool. I want to, I want to say three things um, because it, it's a bit of an uncomfortable topic at times. First of all, I was not going to talk about this. Um, when we were doing the financial series, remember I was, I was telling uh, Dan or somebody, I said, I don't, I don't think I'm going to deal with, with giving this time. And then over the course of the last couple of weeks, I really felt like the Spirit was prompting me saying, no, they need the entire picture of God in finances, not just you know, bits and pieces of it. So let's deal with this topic of, of giving. And Secondly, the, the thing that you need to understand about today is that I'm not going to ask you for more money, okay? So you don't have to check your wallet and make sure it's still there. I don't know what it is, but I, I've been doing this for a while, and every time the preacher starts talking about money, people check their wallets. Like, you know, somebody's coming along and sneaking up behind them, and I don't know what it is. But anyway, I'm not going to ask you for money today. <laughs> and then third, and, and this is really important that you understand this, if you are not a Christian, if you are not a follower of Jesus, nothing I, I say today is going to apply to you, Okay. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can, you can just sit back and you can laugh at us or whatever you want to do. Now, what I'm going to say might be beneficial, but it's not something that you have to think about if you don't follow Jesus. So let me just say those three things. And like always, um, we need, when we deal with any topic, but when we deal with this topic, we need some Bible and we need some context. Because, you know, in my mind, those two things belong together. You can't have one without out the other. It just... Well, it gets you into trouble if you don't deal with it. So um, we need some Bible and we need some context to talk about giving. And the Old Testament happens to use two words for what we call giving. Um, two primary words. There might be some other ones, but there are two main words. And so let's, let's talk a little bit about these. Um, the first one is tithe. And it simply means a tenth. So in the Hebrew language, there's a word and it means tenth. And and um, there's some Greek versions of that. Anyway, ultimately, we, we get the word tithe, but it means tenth, one-tenth. And we find it here in the book of Leviticus. Let me, let me read this. Uh, I think this is good. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, 
will be holy to the Lord. So in this book of, called Leviticus, which is really um, kind of rules and regulations for the people of ancient Israel through the priests, okay? God is teaching the priests, and ultimately through them, he's teaching all of Israel. And so we have two things here, plants and livestock. Does this make sense? So everything from the land and everything from the herd and the flock. So we have plants and livestock. Now, let me hit the pause button here because we need to keep a couple things in mind. Um, first and foremost is that this is an agrarian society. And so in, th- there's no other way to get around it. Wealth equals food. If, if you are trying to scratch out an existence from the land, the amount of food that you have is your wealth. If you've got enough to feed yourself and your family, you're doing great. If you have enough to feed yourself and your family and have a little bit of extra that you might be able to sell on the side, you're wealthy. And the more food that you have stored up, the wealthier you are. Because then you're not fighting against the elements so much. You actually have a storehouse of your wealth and you can, and you can live. Now, there are some provisions in the book of Leviticus for using coin as a tithe. But in, in uh, most cases, giving happened to be produce from the land or from the herd and flock. Does this make sense? So you have to think in terms, remember, context is important. You know, we think about wealth very differently. We store, we store wealth very differently. We talked about that last week. In this case, you have to think in terms of food. Now, there are some commentators that have suggested that the tithe was kind of like a tax, and I suppose it is of sorts, because there is a redistribution of wealth that's going on here. And it's a tithe that goes to the Levites, the Hebrew priests. And let's talk a little bit more about this. Here's what I mean. It's in Numbers uh, chapter 18. The Lord said to Aaron, you will have no inheritance in their land. I am your share and your inheritance among the Israelites. I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. So God establishes this idea of tithe and what happens is it goes to the Levites. Now, when God led Israel into the promised land, he gave each tribe a certain amount of property. Because when you think in terms of actual physical land, that is the means of production. You can either have flocks and herds or you can have uh, some type of, of farming that goes on because that is wealth. You, you cannot divorce those things except the tribe of Levi. Because they were the priests, God wanted their full-time attention on serving in the tent of meeting and eventually into the temple. And so he said, your brothers and sisters, the other 11 tribes are going to take care of you. So you don't have to focus on the tasks associated with farming of producing your brothers and sisters will take care of you in this so that you can actually focus your attention 
on God. And, and all the other tribes said, yeah, that makes perfect sense because God is here among us and we need that priestly class to, 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 to try to help us connect with God and, and God to connect with us. And so everybody understood. So this made, made sense to them as a whole. Okay? So keep that in mind. They were given, um, uh, instead of property, this special role to serve God. Now, we should also note that there's another special provision here uh, that I find quite fascinating. Uh, In Deuteronomy chapter 14, um, we, we read this. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns. So he's, he's changing locations here. So that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. This is really interesting. So every three years, the tithe had to go into the towns, into a special storehouse, in specific towns, so that the most vulnerable, who were, who? Immigrants, orphans, and widows. In that society, those are the most vulnerable. And God says, you're going to take care of the most vulnerable. And we've, we read elsewhere that the whole point to that was because at one point, Israel was vulnerable. They were the immigrant. They were the fatherless. They were the, the widow. And so God says, no, you're going to take care of those people in your land, the most vulnerable. Fascinating, isn't it? But also note that in relation to this, there is something else. And so, and so, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. There's a blessing that's associated with this. We're going to talk about more about that here in a moment. But don't forget it, because it's really an important thing. So the tithe is set aside to care for the most vulnerable. Now, there's one other word that's used for giving, and here it is. It's first fruits. And it simply means the first uh, either crop or fruit to, to ripen. So whatever that, that happens to be. In, in the first reference we find here in Exodus, uh, chapter 23, Celebrate the festival of the harvest with the first fruits of the crops you sow in your field. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. So you have first fruits. So whatever comes first, we're going to harvest that and we're going to bring that as, in this case, um, an offering. Given it at the harvest feast as a thanksgiving. I think this is a really important Uh, part of all this. The idea here is to recognize God is the source of all good things, including your wealth, including your your ability to produce food. And you'll remember in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that he's the one who gives the ability to produce wealth. Remember, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. It's God who is the source of all these things. And so there's this annual ritual, this festival of the harvest, where um, people would bring their first fruits and, and, and what they would ultimately say in that act, in that ritual, is that they were saying, God, you are central to all economic life because economics is related to the production of food. Okay? 
You think it's about your iPhones, but it's not. <laughs> and all the latest gadgets. I, I read about this guy, um, or saw a video or something, I can't remember. <clears throat> uh, he's somewhere out in the Pacific Northwest, and he does this particular style of gardening that I um, have been uh, experimenting with over the last couple of years. And he tells a story, he happens to be a Christian, <clears throat> and he tells a story that one, every year when he harvests his potatoes, he always finds the biggest potato um, from each one of the plants, and he replants that potato, the biggest one. And he says, it's the principle of the first fruit. I thought, oh, that's brilliant. What a great idea. Because obviously he doesn't have to sacrifice that to the Lord. He doesn't have to bring it as a thank offering, but he does acknowledge the fact that God gives these things and takes that big potato and he doesn't eat it, he, he replants it. It's just a, a modern variation on the principle of first fruits. You see that? It's kind of cool. So keep that, um, this idea of first fruits in mind. Now, there's some discussion about... Um, there's a discussion between Old Testament and New Testament. And, and the real question is, is, because of Jesus, are we still required to, um, to give? Uh, are we still required specifically to tithe? And it's a good question, because Jesus came to change an awful lot. And so this obviously comes up, because you know we have a new covenant through Jesus. There are no Levites. We don't need, it, need them anymore. We are a priesthood of all believers, so we don't have to necessarily support it in the same way. And the, and, and the debate goes on and on. And yet, Jesus seems, as far as I can tell, to actually assume tithing. Here's what I mean. You find it in Matthew chapter 23. He's, uh, <laughs> he's going after some Pharisees here. Uh, in fact, I, if I remember right, this is part of the section of Scripture called the seven woes. But he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You're picking and choosing. You're doing the easy one. You're doing the tenth of your spices, which, by the way, is the smallest thing you can grow. Does that make sense? You're doing that, and you're, you know, you're counting those things, and you're probably counting your neighbors as well, but you're neglecting some of the more important things. Mint, dill, and cumin. Have you ever had cumin? Lisa makes soup, puts cumin in it. It's really, really good, but, man, it is fine and tiny. You give a tenth of that, but you're neglecting these other more important issues. And now, understand here, Jesus is going after them. Not just once, he does this seven times. This just happens to be one of them. But here's the thing, is that he, he goes after the Pharisees' practice, the way that they're doing their tithing, but he's not going after tithing itself. He's not saying it's wrong to tithe, he's saying, no, you should be tithing, and if you want to tithe on your spices, that's just fine. But please remember, there's justice, mercy, and faithfulness. you got to do both. And he highlights that, and I think it's important because when we talk about justice and mercy and faithfulness, it seems to me like he's dealing with matters of the heart, doesn't it? It's, not, it's, it's more about heart than it is about things like mechanics or methodology. 
In fact, throughout the, the New Testament, the only guideline for giving comes down to one word, and that's generosity. It's really fascinating. Don't believe me? Good. I'm going to prove it to you. <laughs> Acts chapter 2. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That sounds pretty generous to me. I'm not done yet. Command those who are rich to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. 1 Timothy chapter 6. This idea that, that if you're wealthy, that's a blessing to you that you are supposed to go and bless somebody else. Which, by the way, is the relationship that God established with Abraham a long time ago. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Which, by the way, is a really interesting read. I would encourage you to, when you get home, to do that. And so, anyway, as, as you're kind of thinking about all this, it seems to me that 10% is the start. That's the baseline, and generosity goes up from there. Does this make sense? So 10% seems to be assumed by Jesus, and generosity over and above that seems to be assumed by the other New Testament writers. At least as far as I can tell. So generosity goes up from there. Now, um, not too long ago, a friend of mine that I had reconnected with, uh, it was just after Christmas, as a matter of fact, told me a, a fascinating story. It's actually an amazing story. So, uh, Lisa and I have a friend, actually was in her wedding, uh, and he gave me permission to use this story, so it's all cool. Um, but he told me that for years, uh, he tithed 10% of his paycheck. Uh, now, just for reference point, he is an accountant. And a very special, specialized accountant, he is an auditor. So detail is kind of his thing. So if he told me that he sat down to write a check every payday to his church, I know without a doubt and without fail, he actually sat down with a physical checkbook and a pen and wrote out that check in order to give to church on Sunday. That's just how he rolls. And he did it faithfully. That does not surprise me. But he told me that he recently, within the last year, heard a message <clears throat> from another pastor somewhere else that suggested that he tithe not on his net income, but on his gross. Okay, some of you are nodding. You know what that means, right? Okay, so those of you who don't, net income is after taxes. And so are you going to tithe on your gross or on your net? And he um, felt like after hearing that message, he knows that he'd been doing it at his net because he just took, looked at his paycheck after taxes and would write out the check. And he felt like he was robbing God. Again, I think that's how he rolls. I'm not so sure I fully um, would agree with that, but that's worked for him, okay? That's who he is. And he said, he said that. He says, I feel like I was robbing God. And so under that conviction, 
he began to change how he give, gave from week to week. And he would write out the check on his gross, not on his net. And then he began to tell me a series of stories that were truly astonishing. Both of his parents um, had passed away, and he and his brother um, had inherited some things from them. <clears throat> but there were a lot of, I, I'll call them loose ends. It, it happens you know, every time. For those of you who have lost a parent, you know how this goes. There's lots of loose ends. There's lots of paperwork to file, and you're trying to deal with all of those kinds of things too, and your grief. Yay, that's fun. Um, but they had a number of loose ends, uh, one of which was a piece of property that, um, a couple of pieces of property that his parents owned. And um, we're having a, a difficult time actually unloading them and there was a financial drain. As you, can, as you can imagine, if you're paying the mortgage on your own house plus on two of your parents' properties, okay? So uh, evidently, um, mom and dad were asset rich but cash poor. Kind of my understanding of it. And he began to describe the process that they went through to unload these properties. And to say that it was miraculous would be an understatement to the point where at least one of the properties, a bidding war started. Now, this is before the current rise in the real estate market that's going on right now. Uh, it's, it's one thing to, to hear about bidding wars now, but this was a, a year or two ago. And we hadn't seen the inflation in the, in the real estate market nationwide like we are right now. And so, bidding war. And he said, we couldn't believe it. And within a within just a few weeks, they were able to unload those pieces of property at a higher price than what they asked, be able to clear out all the debts and, and um, uh, tie up those loose ends that were weighing on them. It's amazing. Um, likewise, Lisa and I have tithed all of our married life. It's just something that we chose to do early on. Um, and sometimes it was painful. I'm just gonna tell you that up front. But we saw extraordinary provision from God. Sometimes we'd get unexpected money. Just out of nowhere. Just didn't see it coming, and there it was. Um, in one year, we had not one, but two places to live rent-free when I wasn't working. I, I don't know how God does that. Twice it happened in a year. You know, one time you're like, well, that's cool. But twice, that's the hand of God <laughs> right there. He's, he's the only one who can work that stuff out. Now, neither our friend or Lisa or I can actually prove any of this. We can't prove to you that tithing caused this. But in our hearts, we know. We know that we honored God when we could and when we needed him most, God was able to step in and cho chose to bless us in those moments. At least, that's how we're choosing to interpret those things. We chose to honor God with our giving. He chose to bless us. But here's the thing you must understand. You have to, don't walk out of here thinking that if I give a lot of money to the church, you know, preacher thinks that, you know, we're all going to get blessed. Nonsense. I'm not saying that. What I am saying here is that the blessing is not the goal. The goal is to honor God, but the blessing is often the result. And your blessing might be different than mine, and that's okay. 
I want God to bless you in the way that you need to be blessed. But that's not the reason why we do it. We do it because we want to honor God. And one of the results that you might receive is blessing from him, oftentimes when you need it the most. And so throughout this entire series, I've been asking you to consider how you might build resilience into your your personal economy and your own financial life. And I've also asked you to think about inviting God into the process. But here's the other thing. I want you to also consider how you might honor him through giving. And maybe financial isn't the way that you can do it because of just the way your your money is, but find another way to honor God by giving your time, your attention, your energy, your, your labor, whatever it happens to be. But find a place to say, and, and to do it deliberately and say, God, I am choosing to give this to you today as, I, as I'm trying to honor you. But financially, think about it. <clears throat> now, again, for the, for the follower of Jesus, for the Christian, 10% is the minimum. That's the, the part that we find in the Bible. And generosity goes uh, above that and is clearly encouraged by the text. Here's the thing I, I, I really, <laughs> I want you to start with something. If it's not 10%, fine. Start with 1% if you have to, and then commit to being faithful with it and building up from there. The point is, you're honoring God. The amount may not matter to you now. It might just, might, maybe you just need to build the habit of giving first. We've been doing this for so long in our life, I don't even feel it anymore. There were times I did, early on, and our family did, but now as we've gone along, tithing is just something that we do. It's an automatic thing. There's a great little program that Thrive Church has called Push Pay. It's automatic. I don't even see it anymore. Now, I know there are some people who have said, no, no, I've got to write the check and put it in the box. Great. If that's your act of worship, cool. Do it. But other people, I, we've settled this years ago, decades ago. We settled this is what we're going to do. This is just part of who we are as a people, as followers of, of Jesus. And this is what, so making it automatic uh, deduction electronically, digitally, man, that makes my life easier. I don't have to think about it so much. I'm still honoring God. Does this make sense? So I want you to think about starting with something. And be consistent and commit to it. And then commit to growing it. And here's the, <laughs> here's the other thing that I'm, I'm going to suggest to you. If you choose to do this, and Thrive Church is your storehouse, this is what you're choosing to give to. If you ever come to a point in your life where you are failing financially and you desperately need money, you come back privately, you let me know, I will give you back your tithe, no questions asked. I just, I believe that God will honor when you honor him. And when, if you're in that set of circumstances, I double dog dare you. Try something. But if, if you need the safety net, I'll give you the safety net. We've got fabulous software that will tell me exactly how much that you, that you gave this last year, and I will happily refund that to you. But I trust God to get you through. Does that make sense? So just be consistent. Start with something and go from there. And apply 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 
decide in your heart what you're going to give, whatever that percentage is, and give it cheerfully. Oh God, you have given me the ability to produce wealth. Lord, you've given me this job. I may not like my boss, but I have the ability to produce wealth. And right now, I don't know if you saw, but the unemployment numbers came out this last week. Not so good. The fact that you're working is, is a blessing in and of itself, at least in today's economy. And frankly, I think it's probably going to get worse at some point. So if you're working and you want to honor God with giving, then now's a great time to do it. Just make sure that you do it in a way that you can be cheerful about it. And then here's the other piece of this. Watch what God does. And if you've chosen to do some kind of a spending plan, if you've, you choose the budget, however you want to do that, because there's lots of different ways, that's when God begins to show up. There are times that God has blessed us in, in our lives where if we didn't have the, the budget, if we weren't regularly um, reconciling our bank account, balancing our checkbook, we never would have seen it. It's an opportunity for you to see God move very subtly but very powerfully. And so watch what God will do in your giving. In a moment, um, we're going to take communion. It's been a while, right? Um, hopefully you got a little cup. If you didn't, they're right here on either side. You can come grab one. Um, and they've got a little wafer and some juice. And we bought the kind that actually has a guarantee. So if it's missing anything, let us know. We can send it back for a full refund. <laughs> Probably like 10 cents per thing. I don't know. So anyway. But here's the thing that I, I want you to do as you're, as you're taking communion. I want you to consider all that God has given you. I mean, really take a moment and count your blessings. You know what? For the interest of time, just pick the big ones, okay? Whatever they happen to be. And then, as you're taking your communion elements, ask God, very simply, how you might honor him. God, how do you, how do you want me to honor you? Because the way you honor him might be different than the way I would honor him. And that's okay because we're all different people. So ask him how you might honor him. Eat and drink with the knowledge that he is good. And he has your best interest at heart because God's purpose and plan is always the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is always good and always in our best interest. Always. And so as you go through this process of taking communion, just acknowledge him for his goodness. At Thrive Church, we have what's called an open table. It means if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to do this with us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, let it pass by. Um, that's okay. Nobody's going to look at you funny. And there is some evidence to suggest that it's detrimental if you uh, take communion and don't follow Jesus. So don't do that. Don't put yourself into that set of circumstances. But we want you to be a part of this thing. This is what binds us together. It's this common understanding that Jesus died and was resurrected. We're going we're gonna to get a chance to celebrate that here in a few weeks. 
And I'm excited about that because it changes everything. And so we come together periodically to remind ourselves of that. And you believe that and I believe that. So when we take this together, we are collectively saying we believe, we believe that death was defeated and the king is alive. And what's so cool is that there are people all over the world who are doing the same thing. So it connects us to them as well. We're all doing this thing together. And so, um, you know, the thing I want you to do is, is as you're listening, as you're singing, as you're worshiping, when you're ready, take the elements. Take it as a family, take it individually. It's okay. It's okay to move your mask over and do it, right? Um, but take a moment. And when you're ready, acknowledge him as you're taking those, those elements. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and, um, that was common on the table at the time. And he, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat and every time you do, I want you to remember me. Remember me. And they didn't understand because he hadn't died yet. And after the supper, he, he does the same thing with a cup of of wine, common on the table. And after he gave thanks, he passed it and he said, take and drink and every time you do it, I want you to remember me. And again, they didn't get it. They didn't understand, but they would later. They totally would later. And I think there was a moment when they all went, oh, I love those moments. So maybe when you're taking the elements today, that might hit you a little bit differently where you go, oh, that's what he meant. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness, for your uh, choice to follow God when it was really hard, when it was really painful. We get to benefit from that. And beyond that, Lord, we've got the simple blessings of work, family, leisure, friends. You have given us this ability to produce wealth. And we live in a day and an age where that is beyond imagining for the people in ancient Egypt or in ancient Israel and ancient Mesopotamia. That, that entire region had no idea we could create wealth like we do today. God, we acknowledge that you are the source of all those good things. And we want to put our hearts right in agreement with you that you are the source. And so as we take communion today as we remind ourselves what you've done for us. Show us, Lord, how we might honor you with the goodness that you've given, that you've first given. Every person is going to hear that differently. Holy Spirit, come. Speak the way you want to speak. 
directly into our hearts about the things that matter to you and the things that make sense for the people here. So grateful, Lord, that we can trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.